Here's the story of two dental hygienists from opposite sides of the world who became friends because they realized their professional lives were so in sync. One in Australia and one in America, both exuding their high passion for high-level patient care, both pushing back on legacy dentistry. If you are ready to revolutionize the practice of dental hygiene through science and innovation, join us as we are Disrupting Dentistry. Hey, Disruptors. Welcome to this episode of the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. My name is Melissa. And my name is Tabitha. And we would like to disrupt the status quo and be the change that we would like to see in dentistry. So thank you for listening. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. We thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Um, so today we ha- I'm really excited to introduce Kathy Boyce from Australia. She's our first Australian guest and one of my friends, so that makes it a little bit more exciting for me as well. Kathy is an oral health therapist, which I'll actually get her to explain that as well for our American listeners who haven't heard of what an oral health therapist is. She graduated from Sydney Sylvania School of Dental Therapy in 1980 and completed her dental hygiene studies through Queensland UQ in 2006. And she's enjoyed a long and rewarding career in the dental profession, working in many aspects of dentistry in both public and private clinics. She lives and works in Townsville, Queensland, which is right up the top of Australia for our overseas listeners, and is a passionate dental clinician, oral facial myologist and educator. Kathy has extensive experience in using silver fluoride materials in clinical practice, having used them earlier in her career and again for the past four years when they became available once again in Australia. Silver fluoride has become an integral part of her approach to sensitivity and caries management in public and private practice for clients of all ages. Through various educational opportunities and courses, Kathy now assists and mentors clinicians with the use of silver fluorides, the ARM uh, approach to caries management and clinical pathway and resource centre was developed by Kathy for clinicians and clients to understand the better the concept of silver fluoride used in contemporary clinical practice and now used worldwide. She calls this her gift to humanity. So I'd love you to all say hello to Kathy and Kathy say hello to our listeners. Hey. Thank you so much, uh, Melissa and Tabitha, for having me, inviting me onto the podcast. This is really fun because, as you know, I'm often on the other end of the microphone. And um, to be able to um, chat and share my story, I'm excited. Thanks for being here with us. I'm excited to hear your story. So, Kathy, how about we start with what is an oral health therapist? I know this and our Australian listeners will, but I think this is something new. Do you know what it is, Melissa? No, I really, I, I mean, I would assume that it's similar to a dental hygienist, but I cannot wait to hear the difference. Okay. So um, in Australia, traditionally, we didn't, ha- before we had dental hygienists, we had dental therapists. And uh, in the States, you're now just beginning to get dental therapists. Um, we were trained to work originally in the government sector in school dental clinics, and this was across Australia. Um, and, and we did basically all pediatric dental work. Um, and there was some variance in our degree of scope. Uh, I trained in New South Wales. And so I was, uh, we were trained to up to the age of 18 years that we did basic dentistry. And in my day, I was trained to extract permanent teeth, but I had to have the um, okay from the dental officer, a supervising dental officer. Um, 
And and then uh, the dental hygienists came on board. They started training dental hygienists um, in, in Australia in a separate course. And uh, some uh, dental therapists went and did that training and others just did dental hygiene training. Um, and it became apparent to, um, I guess, the educators and the clinicians that a lot of people were doing this and they ended up then rolling those two um uh, arms of of dental care um, into one, and that's called an oral health therapist. So, because um, I am older and I had the original dental therapy, um, and then I did the hygiene, then I'm able to register as a an oral health therapist. Um, but now, most of the degree courses are taught as a as a combination. So, you become an oral health therapist. So, you have the um, general dentistry restorative within the, within scope uh, and, and everybody's scope is different um, depending on where you're trained and you have the dental hygiene as well. So, yeah, That's so, so cool. mm, it is. It's a great, uh, it's a great career and, and I'm, I'm actually not sad that I did it, you know, I, I, I had nailed therapy by the time I did my hygiene. So <laughs> I didn't have to cope with trying to do everything all at once. Yeah, so yeah, it was good. So I, um, yeah, I've been at it a, a long time. What made you go into dental to begin with? Like, what made you go? I want to be a dental therapist. Oh, that's easy. Um, I wanted to do dentistry, but I mucked up too much at school. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I actually no. Um, that's 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 one side of the story. No, when I was in year eleven, we had these um, these people that came to the school, and they were careers advisors. Now, I'm talking way back in the seventies, and they um, they said what you know that you, they'd sort of say what do you want to do, and and I was very keen on working with children and really keen on doing dentistry. And they said, look, there's this new career that's just been basically invented and it's called a dental therapist, um, you know, and, and I think this would be a really good fit for you. So I looked into it and perfect because it meant that I could do, uh, I could work with children and do dentistry um, and um, those two loves were my passion and still are. So, you know, kids are, is definitely my forte um, I never tire of um, of treating children, and um, so that's how I I got there. And then, and of course, um, why didn't I do dentistry? Because I marked up too much at school. No. So I I was actually an exchange student to the states, an AFS exchange student um, in 1976 and 77. Um, so I knew halfway through grade. 12 that I was actually going to the States in in the American summer of, of that year and so I kind of you know didn't do much work I just had this big diary uh, and and on the back page I had numbers one to you know 150 or something and every day I'd just come and mark another day off until I went to the States and <laughs> And on Mondays, I got to mark off three days. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I did. I had a fabulous year. Fabulous. I loved it. So, so what we awesome. didn't in your introduction is you are a business owner. You own an oral um, myology business. But one of the reasons why we're really talking to you today is what you're doing clinical side in the dentistry side, and it's silver fluoride. Mm -hmm. Do you first want to? 
explain to the listeners what silver fluoride is? Sure. Okay. Um, <laughs> silver fluoride, most of the uh, of the Australian listeners may understand what silver fluoride is. Um, and the American listeners, if they're dental clinicians, may understand it as silver diamine fluoride. Now, they're, they're two actually different products. So what I'll explain first about was, is silver fluoride. So in Australia, um, we have a product which is a water-based silver fluoride. So it is silver and fluoride ions dissolved and suspended in water, a water-based um, product. Now, um, that was invented by an Australian um, gentleman, amazing doctor called Dr. Graham Craig, back in the mid-70s um, when he was introduced first to silver diamond fluoride from Japan. And when he tried to have that manufactured over here, the manufacturer said, no, I'm not going to make anything that smelly. Um, nobody will buy it. Make me something that, you know, invent me something that I can manufacture that doesn't have that smell. So Graham was not only a dentist and he was he was one of my lecturers at university, but he also was um, a chemist, had a chemistry background. So he spent quite some time um, working out how to make a water-based silver fluoride and he nailed it and nobody else has been able to to nail it. Um, and so we have the advantage of that here in Australia and it, it is reaching out into the rest of the world as well. But most of the rest of the world have to have ammonia in their suspension. So they have silver and fluoride ions um, suspended or dissolved in an ammonia-based substance, and that is to stop the crystallization. So if you didn't have that and you didn't have the magic stuff, as I call it, <laughs> the Australian stuff, if you didn't have that recipe, you would have to have the, the ammonia to keep the fluoride ions and the silver ions free-floating um, because if you didn't put that in, and you didn't have the recipe, um, it sounds a bit complicated, but it's not really. The silver irons all clump together and stick around the edge of the bottle. So when you go to dispense it, it, it comes out like as a, they're a bit crystallized and you get more fluoride and less silver. And, um, so there's varying um, degrees of ammonia compound, um, but the ones that most of the uh, dental um, community is using in the states, I believe, is the Advantage Arrest, which is the silver diamond fluoride, um, which we don't have in Australia. Um, both countries have a product called Reva Star, um, but that was invented also by Dr. Graham Craig, but for an entirely different purpose. So its pH is 13, so it's quite high, whereas the pH of silver diamond fluoride is only 8. Um, um, and um, sorry, is ten? It's ten. It's got eight percent um, ammonia in it, but it's it's a pH of ten. Um, and the water-based one is six point three, so it's um, it's it's quite different. Yeah. So basically, what those two elements do—the silver and the fluoride—which is the most important ingredient—the silver, when you put that onto a tissue that has a bacterial activity in it, which is what caries is, it kills the bacteria, and it gets absorbed into the tooth um, a couple of millimeters. Um, 
And then what happens is the fluoride also becomes absorbed and that strengthens the tooth. So you get a, a kill at the site of the application and then you get um, the fluoride going in and that uh, remineralizes the tooth. But the remaining silver knock off any other little bacteria that come wandering along. And that is the reason why you can use it in open lesions and leave them there for some time um, for, you know, without having to deal with them straight away. And so for children and for elderly folks, it's absolutely brilliant because the first thing you can do with a child is paint some magic water on them and it's painless and it's easy and it's fun and their preconceptions of what you are doing to them in, in by treating their tooth is blown out of the water because a lot of kids come to the dentist expecting it to hurt because people have told them that. Or, or you're, it's just foreign. The whole, the whole thing is foreign. And if they're presenting with a fairly, you know, decent size, size lesion, um, you are, you are basically um, medically um, managing it from the word go, without doing hardly anything else. Um, yeah. So I, I, Dr. Craig, he trained me and all of us. You know, back in the nineteen. Um, I graduated in 1980, so I started using it in the 70s, and he was our preventative dentistry lecturer. So I got trained um, well by him and used that right through until the 19, um, early 90s when it became unavailable. And it became unavailable, our, our silver fluoride became unavailable because the manufacturer, the one we were talking about earlier, passed away, and with him um into the grave went the recipe to be able to keep large quantities of it stable and it took um graham craig and uh, another fellow called silvano d'ambrosio who um worked together with um uh, graham to it took him 10 years to get that recipe back up and be stable enough to be able to go into commercial production so um yeah, so I first, um, so I used it a long time, you know, and I had this background. And then in um, 2016, I was introduced to silver fluorides again by way of, of uh, meeting the Reva Star product. Um, and that was super exciting, really exciting, because it I just knew what I could do with it in some of the children that I was um, using it on. And so I started using it and I was having amazing success, but I had to be very careful because the pH was so high. Um, and, and some of the practices that I adopted um, in, in my attempt to, to use it in modern dentistry, um, I just I went off the back of what I the, my history. Um, and then I went over to the States to a conference in Arizona in 2017, about April. Um, and that's where I met the silver fluoride gurus in the States um, of um, uh, Dr. Jeanette McLean and um, Jeremy Horst uh, and another gentleman. And um, I got chatting to them at their seminar and, um, uh, you know, I said, look, everything that you're doing, you're telling people about, I'm already doing and I've done it before. And so, you know, these are results that I'm getting and, and of course, that was very exciting for them because they've never met anyone who has actually been 
part of the silver fluoride history. Um, but uh, they also then told me I should go back to Australia and ring up this guy called Dr. Graham Cray because he taught them everything that they knew. And they said, have you heard of him? And I went, yeah, yeah. Like I'm going, you know, very quietly, man, he'd be getting on a bit now because so am I. And so <laughs> I, I did not waste time in getting in contact with Graham. And now um, we, uh, we do a lot of collaborative education together, which is kind of really sweet. So, yeah. I love that story. That's so amazing. What, a, what an awesome journey into integrating something so cutting edge and innovative. Well, it is and it's not. I mean, I guess the thing is, you know, before when we started using it in the 70s, we were using it when we couldn't do amalgams on children and when you couldn't, they were too scared to have a needle and all you could do is just put this stuff on. You knew it was going to arrest the decay. You knew that they were going to be out of pain and that the tooth would remain stable. It wasn't looking very pretty because the way the silver does is 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 um it turns the area because it gets absorbed into the the tooth and then the area of um the tooth that it's trapped in which is usually the decay um that actually then reacts with light and it turns black now um that was not um a bad thing when all you had as your restorative materials was the silver amalgams so really we were just doing a little bit differently. But when the white fillings, you know, um, era came along, um, we were still using silver fluorides in areas where we couldn't get, um, we couldn't get access to the, the children because they were too scared. But what they, what they did discover, what Dr. Craig discovered when he went and did, and there's an actual report of a study on it, it's called the Burke study, um, he found that the kids turned from raging lions into lambs and the second time they went back to that town, everybody was, the kids were running out greeting them because they were able to treat their decay and it wasn't hurting them. And um, so uh, it, what I, I found is that I was able to then use that background knowledge that I had way back then and then be able to put it into modern dentistry and begin to use it with um, our modern glass ionomer fillings. So I would treat the decay, I would then get the kids back and clean up what I now term the burnt toast, which is the black dead. Um, it, well, people sort of says, oh, it's the, the dead caries. And I go, well, it's it was caries because caries is bacteria. It's a bacterial activity. So once you've killed it, it's not caries anymore. It's called black callus. And, and that's why I just refer it to it as the kids are, as burnt toast. And, um, and they get that. And so we clean off some of the periphery burnt toast. Uh, we find that underneath that is this beautiful layer of remineralized dentine and or, or enamel if, if that's where it was and then um, we can place a GIC over the top and it masks for uh, you know basically masks the whole deal um, and um, it's the GICs work very very well with a tooth that has been treated with silver fluoride um, it got it, it, it blew me away the very – once I started doing this, I just kept rolling with it because it made such a difference to my patients. But it was 17 months 
before I had to give an injection to a child to do a filling after I started using silver fluoride. That was going to be my question. I was like, yeah, do you need to, so you often don't need to numb up if you've done the silver fluoride and then doing the filling in a separate appointment. Uh, that was going to be what I asked. Tabitha often is is so far from what the truth is. Like I just, I don't need to use LA. And I've done some very, very deep lesions on permanent teeth on very anxious teenagers who are so needle phobic that we have been able to do several applications. And I do the several applications in in those teeth because I really want good remineralization. But the beautiful thing is it desensitizes the tooth as well. And so then you're able to gently get the burnt toast out and establish this really hard, um, well, you, you haven't established it. The, the, the process has established a, a, a really decent hardening of the affected dentine. And, uh, and, and then so you, you get right down there, you can, you know, that's your basis. So now I'm using it as a, um, a, a tooth preserver, a tooth, hard tissue preserver. Whereas once I would have had to give them LA and then go in and then clean up all of that affected dentine um, because you don't know whether it's when you're getting close infected or affected, you know, so you, you have to make that call and then you go chasing, chasing, chasing. But using silver fluoride, you're actually creating, you're creating remineralized dentine. So you are minimizing the amount of um of um, destruction I guess you would call it if you're comparing the two techniques of of enamel and so you're preserving hard tissue you're minimizing the size of the preparations and in my book that means that because I'm doing pediatrics and pediatrics means up to 18 I'm now saving that tooth from at least one stage of that destructive cycle you know of getting bigger and bigger and bigger sort of thing um, and ending up, you know, having, um, you know, root canals and, and, you know, things like that, you know, the circle, the circle of life, I think we call it in the industry, don't we? <laughs> All the, yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's just been amazing. So. As you're talking about this, I'm just like, wow, this is minimally invasive dentistry. Mm-hmm. And so on so many levels, not just the actual clinical application, but the mental aspect of it for our patients. Oh, yeah. And and you're talking about like then going back to how you talked about the history of it and how, you know, you started doing this in the 70s and the 80s. And it's 2020. And we're still like in America, people are doing this, but it's not the forefront. It's not the, it's not the norm. It's not the status quo. It's still very much like the innovators and, and, you know, the crunchy weird people like Tabitha and I, and who think outside the box are doing these kind of things. Why, why are yeah. we not, why is this not standard of care? Well, I think, I think one of the, the there's several reasons. Um, one is because a lot of folk well they're not trained at university in how to do this and so dentists have um traditionally not wanted to embrace anything that they have not 
taught, learnt at university. The modern-day dentists are very good, but they were not clinicians. They have not clinicians. They haven't had the opportunity to be clinicians as we were when we were bush, bush clinicians, basically, because we were put out in these country areas and we had to think outside the square. And I can remember in my, you know, uh, when I was doing my dental therapy training um, and we had, uh, I guess you would call them um, tutorials now, we just called them little chairside meeting things. But, uh, <laughs> and they sort of said, now, you know, this is the scenario, how would you deal with it? And if you didn't come up with and, well, if I was in the country and I didn't have access to this and there was, you know, my dental officer was, you know, five hours drive away, then if you didn't have an answer um, which made you think outside the square, you were basically not coming up with what the the tutors wanted. Um, so we, it, it made me think outside the square in, in every aspect of my clinical um, practice but one of the th and, and I'm still you know it's still very safe and it's still solid and I had this lovely foundation when I started using it again but one of the things that I was forced to think outside the square of is when I needed to put the silver fluoride on the tooth in the modern day I knew it had to stay there for a while to be more effective and back in the olden days, we used to put some a little square of stoma adhesive wafer that we would warm up, you know, on our um, – because back then we had boilers. We didn't have autoclaves back in the old days. And so we'd just kind of warm it up there and it'd be all supple and we'd just mould that over the tooth and it would hold it there for about half an hour. Now, I didn't have that this time around, so I had to think. I was in my little dental van at the time and I was thinking, now I've got to keep this stuff here. What am I going to use? So I naturally thought, hmm, Durafat. So I'll get the fluoride varnish and I'll put that over the top because I knew that fluoride varnish, once you put that on a tooth, it stayed there and it formed like a plug. And so that's what I started to do. That I use that as holding material. Now, you know, then I go over to the States and I and that's what they're doing. And I'm going, okay, so I'm doing that too. But I, I thought of that just because I needed a plug. <laughs> and, but what I was finding is that it was also giving me superior arrest because you were actually kicking off the the ongoing fluoride application. So and and um and even though you're using a silver fluoride, and in our case when we're using silver fluoride, we're also putting a stannous fluoride on top. And the reason for that is because those two products go beautifully together in, in the product that we're using in Australia. Um, and there's there's a chemical um, and physical reaction uh, that happens between the two. But um, even when you're doing, you know, the silver fluoride and the stannous fluoride and then um, an application of durit fat, you are still well, well, um, within the limits of a fluoride exposure because, you know, we've, we've looked at that. Um, and and what I, I love about the product that we're using in Australia, the water-based one, is that um, it is doesn't have the pH. So it, it doesn't matter what you do on little kids. You know, you can get it on the gingiva if they're too wiggly and things like that. It's not doing – you're not getting any gingival burns or even in the elderly population where they've got uh, their skin might be a little bit more frail. Um, 
but also to it did pass our TGA, which is your FDA for use in the paediatric population. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's a comfortable product for everybody to use. But the techniques are so simple. And your own um, Jeremy Horst, who I have, you know, he's been a guest on my podcast as well and, you know, we chat and he's, he, he has this little um, saying about, you know, you dry the truth, you dry the tooth, so dry, apply, say goodbye. And that's basically what you do. And I just love that because it's, it's, it's a very succinct way of putting that's all we have to do on that initial visit. So I, I, I love that too, because I yeah, feel I like in dentistry, we make things more complicated often than they really need to be. <laughs> we do. So I've yeah. Silver fluoride, but I've used it for caries management in older patients because I haven't worked with as many children as you. And I've been able to use it in clients where really we'd have to do an extraction, but we, they're, you know, they're not they're medically compromised and we didn't want to do extraction. So therefore we were able to keep the teeth in place and treat subgingivally and do some things. Where I think I've really underused it is, sensi is sensitivity, like treating that sensitivity patient. So do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because mm. I think probably something that we're you know everyone could be really helping their patients a lot more and I didn't really realize I could use it like that until you had explained that to me. Right well the sensitivity uh, reduction comes from the fact that the the tooth that is sensitive has got a uh, I guess basically a reduction in the amount of mineral content that is there which is allowing um, the um, the to the triggers whether it's hot cold sweet whatever um, to be um, taken straight to the pulp so that that conduction of of, of the um, the feeling I I guess and and I've got to be careful because a lot of people will listen to this that that aren't dentists so I'm very careful um, that that anyone who wants to listen to a podcast like this understands that what we're talking about, you know, not getting too techo. But, um, yeah, so the, the conduction of that fluid uh, right to the pulp and that sensation is blocked when you're using um, a metal fluoride because it's going into the tubules and it's blocking them off. And it's never been so evident um, the more that I began to use silver fluoride, you know what was really interesting, ladies, is when I first started using silver fluoride the second time, you know, the second wave, I didn't have an appreciation when I started doing that of how desensitized the teeth would get. I knew that it would arrest the caries and I knew that um, you would get remineralization because that's what we got in the old days. But remember, in the old days, we were not using it to put a filling over the top. So when I had these little kids coming back and I was able to start cleaning out the burnt toast, nobody was having any, any sensitivity. And it made me really start looking about what. And so then I got, you know, I started using it for, I thought, well, you might need a needle. So let's try this. You know, I'd speak to the parents and I'd say, I've got this stuff on and it seems to really work. And and that's why I got to the point where it was 17 months because anyone where I thought, oh, you probably might need an LA, I, I knew what I was doing with it, but I did. I began to use it for its apparent advantage. And it was when I started, I got some really challenging kids who had 
dental phobia, which is not unusual when they've got hypermineralized teeth. And um, the first, you know, you're going out on a wing when you have got nothing else to offer a child who will not let you in their mouth to do anything because they've been traumatized in the past by people blowing air on their tooth. I mean, every time those kids go for a dental checkup and somebody goes, oh, I'm just going to have a look on their tooth, they're going to puff air on their tooth and they're going to, you know, it's painful for the children and they hate the dentist. And they hate the dentist because the dentist hurts and all the dentist has done is, is puff air on their tooth. But the sensitivity of a hypermineralized tooth is such that that's the way their brain works. And so to be able to use silver fluoride um, topically over the top of a non-decayed but uh, demineralized or, or lack of minerals tooth, you know, for, because hypomineralized, and then find that we were getting such amazing reduction in seven sensitivity that I'll never forget the first one. I put it on and he came back the next week and he was able to eat on that tooth after one application. And I'm going, right, okay. So I wanted to really get a good, you know, I was able to gently blow air on it the second time. That didn't really hurt him. So I put another application on it. When he came back the third time, I was able to pick up a slow speed burr, take out some of the caries that had just started and then put a GIC in that kid without LA, blew my mind, blew my mind. So then I began to work with hypermineralized teeth a lot. And um, I, I've got some amazing case histories where um, where the trauma from having regular treatment on a hypermineralized tooth, because you, you know, uh, local anesthetic does not always work that well when you've got a hypermineralized mm-hmm. tooth. And so um, to be able to treat the tooth for sensitivity and arrest caries if you need to and then put a GIC over the top is just phenomenal. That will guide them. That will get the kids back on track with dental care. They can then brush their tooth and they can eat properly. And from a myofunctional point of view, we like people to be able to eat on all of their teeth because it's balanced. And, um, and so they can begin to use these teeth that they've never been able to eat on correctly before. Um, and so, yeah, it's that, that part is very exciting. Actually, Graham and I have written a paper on uh, hypermineralized uh, teeth and, and the use of silver fluoride, stannous fluoride, and it's, um, it's out for what do you call it, peer review at the moment. So hopefully yeah. we'll have that out, you know, one of these days. It's a long process. Oh. But um, if you can... If when it's ready, if you could send the link to us, we'd love to add it to the show notes when we release this episode. Well, I'll be happy to do that when we finally get it published. <laughs> but yeah, it's just what what I think is so beautiful in in treating kids with silver fluoride and well, using silver fluoride in a hypermineralized world is you're bringing them back and undoing the years of trauma that they've had. And um, but not but you're saving their teeth because most of those kids would have normally had to have those teeth out. And I'm not saying all these teeth that I'm doing don't eventually um, need to be orthodontically planned for extractions, but some of them do not either. And um, most of the orthodontic management 
was brought about because they're always going to break down and they're always going to be sensitive. And we can say that that does not necessarily have to happen. So, um, you know, I think that that is a real bonus. And the other thing that I'm extremely aware of, that not everybody gets to afford orthodontics. So you might sort of say, you know, oh, no, we'll just wait till they're a certain age and we'll, you know, take them out and we'll do whatever and, and in incorporate that into an orthodontic plan. Um, orthodontics, and particularly in Australia, is extremely expensive and um, there is a lot of the population who just will not ever be able to afford to have it done. And so you're condemning them to missing teeth if you... Mm. assume and I don't like to assume anything like that so I also think the, like we can't underestimate the psychological effects of of children missing their teeth and then or having more traumatic experiences in the dentist so therefore delaying treatment and getting even more dental work and more missing teeth and you know there's lots of studies to really show the, the psychological impact of how pay patient feels if they're not happy with their smile and they're missing teeth so it's not just treating them as in their mouth and being able to minimally invasive but like melissa said before it's that full holistic approach and making sure psychologically we're looking after them as well absolutely absolutely and i mean i wouldn't be i wouldn't be working in children's dentistry for 40 years if i didn't have um an appreciation for the psychological <laughs> side of things when you're working with children <laughs> because you really do need you. I, I've often said, you know, kids' dentistry is 10% dentistry and 90% psychology. And I don't think it's far from the truth because you can get kids to do just about anything if you approach and, and they like you and they like who you are and what you do. And, um, and so, boy, this has made a really big difference, Yeah. And, and, you know, when I said it took me 17 months to give an LA, I've probably truthfully given in the last, because it's been four years now, four years, actually, this is really interesting, it's four years on the 1st of February. So probably by the time this podcast comes out, I will have been using it <laughs> absolutely for four years, um, this second time around. And I've probably given five or six injections, five or six LAs to do wow. to do a restoration and um, I've, I've done some some really sizable jobs but um, I don't use it so I don't have to do that I mean I give a really good injection but if you don't have to <laughs> I think it's a better you know it's, it's better I haven't done a vital pulpotomy in four years wow yeah because I haven't needed and to. And so we've talked a lot about kids and using it, but I could see a huge um, benefit for all ages in medically compromised who can't be having a lot of work done or using it in nursing homes where you don't have to then, you know, where the, maybe the patient can't actually leave the nursing home and, and that way it's a lot easier and a lot stressful for everyone involved. Oh, definitely. And and I guess the thing is I, I keep on hanging back to paediatrics because that's my world, but I know that there is there are clinicians that I have um um you know trained, I guess, um, because I do a bit of education over here in Australia and and they are working in the the elderly um population. There's like Dr. Mark Witherspoon, he's down in Wagga and he's got a, a mobile dental practice that goes to um 
uh, nursing homes and he sees clients in their own homes and he has been a big fan of silver fluoride since we reintroduced reintroduced him to it um, and he could see the benefit right from um, the the go and he started implementing it straight away and so he's um, yeah it's uh, in that it's not just like I would be really upset okay if I had a tooth that had a um, an interproximal lesion and somebody that was not you know those ones where you think, oh, I just I don't know whether we should do it or not. But a lot of times people say, oh, we'll just pick up and we'll do a little filling and we'll just see. And I'm just, but if they did not treat that with silver fluoride first and offer that to me, um, then I would be really cross, you know. So anyone who's seeing me when I get to the nursing homes, you better watch out because I want you, I want you well trained. <laughs> you know and and I always say whenever I do a presentation I say you know if I get to the nursing home and they go Mrs Boyce I think we'll put some silver fluoride on that tooth I'll go my job is done um it's 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 not just for um for kids I mean my my daughter-in-law I've used it on her um to stop that scenario I was just talking about and that was like nearly three years ago. There is absolutely no reason for anybody to not have a go and to start medically managing it and and um, with such um, with confidence, really, um, because it it just you know I'm not saying every single tooth responds fantastically because um, you only probably get ninety five percent of them doing it, <laughs> which is a- well. I kind of liken this approach to if you go to the doctor and you have a, a, a muscle strain, like we can so relate to that, right? Like we have neck, shoulder issues and you go to the doctor, you're like, oh, I'm having pain. I'm a little tight here. And they don't, and they just send you right to surgery and say, oh, the answer is cutting your neck open, right? Instead of saying, why don't we go try physical therapy first and see if we can work those knots out. I kind of like in this approach to that, like we dentistry, we just want to cut and drill, mm-hmm. right? You have a problem Let's cut it open. Let's drill it. Why can't we be more minimally invasive? Like it's, we've been doing this cut and drill approach for ever. It's barbaric. Like we have better ways to go about it. And that should be our end game. Like, okay, if, if we've thrown all these other minimally invasive treatments at the patient and it still hasn't worked okay now we can this is what we, we're going to go to am i like no far off on that kathy no you are you were speaking pure sense you know and you know the crazy <laughs> the crazy thing about it is that our friend gv black um who was the father of modern dentistry in the 1800s was using silver nitrate to sanitize his teeth the teeth before he he invented amalgam, okay. He invented the modern amalgam uh, material. Well, not the modern one, but, you know, basically what our modern amalgam materials are um, uh, based on. And guess what one of the metals was that he put in that that thing was silver. And that there was a reason for it, okay, because he knew that silver actually killed the bacteria and I mean mm. we're going back a long time but we seem to have forgotten um, our roots but uh, yeah so there's some exciting 
um, some exciting avenues where you can use silver fluoride um, when you understand and you keep in mind the bacterial activity um, and what you're trying to do with um, with minimising the impact of bacterial activity. And, um, yeah, so um, in in many, many aspects of dentistry, I, the first thing I, you know, you, you've got to look at um, stopping the disease. So, you know, it's the only thing that we have where you can transfer a patient from active to managed in one visit and it doesn't matter how many teeth they've got. If you keep them there and you put silver fluoride on all of their quadrants and all of their teeth, okay, you have actually transported them from one category to another. And that's phenomenal when you think about it. It is. It yeah. Really is. And don't laugh at me if it's a dumb question. Um, I'm in perio now. I don't, I'm not in respiratory. I don't do much general stuff. But I've got a question about fissure seals. So obviously um, when I went through university, it was very pro with placing a lot of fissure seals, but would you say that the silver fluoride could really replace that need for putting when you've got that early, say it's starting to be a bit sticky in the, um, in the occlusal, would you then apply silver fluoride and just leave it with the silver fluoride and then only if it was deep, you know, really deep fissures then put a GIC later on once you've, um, you know, arrested bacteria. How? What would you say? I'm still a big believer in in in, um, in fissure sealants. Um, but what I would do if you were in any doubt, I would treat the tooth with the silver fluoride to manage to ensure that you have managed the bacterial activity that you can't see. Um, yeah. So you you pop that down, and then and then you can continue on now the reason why I, I'm still a fan of, of fissure sealants is because it's about um, it's about bacteria but it's about debris and it's about kids going off the rails and it's about them turning into a teenagers and not uh, you know and getting out loose out of mum and dad's care and you know drinking soft drink on the way to school and things like that I mean I still think that protecting a deep fissure is really important. Um, you're remineralizing, yeah, sure, but then, um, but then protecting it. So, um, I guess it depends on what you're trying to do and achieve with it. But certainly, as an antibacterial um, treatment for the tooth, at least you know what you're doing um, with it. So, um, it, yeah, it's um, you know where we used to do PRRs or preventative resin restorations or people um, in Queensland, they used to call them invasive fissure sealants. When we moved up here, they were called invasive fissure sealants. I've, I'm sorry, but I don't call them invasive fissure sealants because you're when you put a burr to a tooth, okay, it's a restoration. So, And that's, what I'm kind of, that's quite common, that invasive fissure seal, and people still call it that, but uh, are drilling the tooth. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, I, I, I was never familiar. I, I was never comfortable calling an invasive fissure cell. I don't think I ever did. Um, but a preventative resin restoration, um, well, at least that calls it what it was. Um, but now we've got great GICs, and you've got to remember when I started doing that, our GICs weren't all that great. Um, but when when you can 
manage the the caries and then seal off the tooth with something like you know a good quality GI seal or something like that. I think that's where you're winning. So you got to you do have to think outside the square because um, mm. when you're using any product. Um, a lot of people talk about things being off-label, but it's it's actually, well, in Australia it's not off-label once it leaves the manufacturer, okay? So if the manufacturer says that you can do A, B, C, and D with it, okay, or this is what it was designed for, but you think, wow, it's really good for EFG and you use it for EFG, that's not off-label because the manufacturer is not saying it, you're, you're applying it differently. And mm-hmm. 80% of the drugs that are, um, dispensed in one of the pediatric hospitals in um, in Sydney, in in I think it's Sydney, is um, are all off label because they were designed for adults, but they're used on kids. So really, it's <laughs> it's it's a it's a curly world. But yeah, <laughs> why do you think a lot of the universities aren't teaching this at a, at a university level? Okay. I have two theories, okay. One, because the lecturers are not familiar with it, so they don't know about it much. That they're not, they're not really, uh, in, in, you know, on board with it yet. Um, the other thing too is, it makes dentistry really easy, but they, but they want their they want their graduates to know how to do the hard stuff in case they they need to know and i i i truly think that that's probably you know part part of of the deal you know they want them to be able to practice use you know having doing root canals and and things like that instead of preventing how to do them and um i don't know it's it's just that and and the other thing too that i think and i hate to say this but i think it has a a lot to play as it's very, very cost effective. Okay. What I was thinking. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's that hygienist's preventative mindset, right? Like, and, and that's where I think we have these struggles because dentists, they're restorative. They want to restore the problem and try to get back to homeostasis, where we're all about preventing the problem and being minimally invasive, but maximally effective. So I think that that's where a lot of that headbutting comes in, where, and I'm not saying all dentists are that way, but where we have these like struggles, because you're sharing stories about this phenomenal, innovative dentist that you've worked with throughout pretty much your entire professional career. So it's just, I think the hard part for us is finding those people that we're aligned in that mindset and that approach. That's that's the, the struggle, I feel. And once you find those people, you get to have so much fun doing something you love every day. Yeah. But the, the sweet spot is finding the people. Finding it is. More people. Yeah. And I've been, I've been really um, very fortunate in the knowledge that um, Dr. Craig has passed on to me. But also I've had the support of um, my employer as well. And that has been enabled to, you know, now I'm only working in private practice now, but the majority of my cases have come, my case histories have come from, from private practice and, um, and where people sort of think, oh, you know, silver fluoride is only good for poor people and I'm just going, no, that's so wrong. It's not because everybody deserves to have the best 
Um, and and so my private patients just gobble it up because they um, they want the what they consider the best, you know, for their kids. And when you say going back to homeostasis, you know, they, the dentists want to get homeostasis. What on earth are we doing when we are medically managing a tooth? We are creating homeostasis in one visit, and then we just clean up what's left and and deal with that. Um, yeah, so it's it's been a very, very interesting journey. And that is why I, at the beginning of uh, my journey in 2017, when I actively started using silver fluorides, I knew halfway through that year that this there was going to be a place for this. And so, but I knew I needed to get people on board and patients on board um, and I needed to get a vehicle so everybody could understand and have a plan. And that's where I invented the, I wrote really, I suppose you call the armor approach, um, which is a clinical pathway that clinicians can use so that they have an idea of where they're going with this. And then clients also have an understanding um, where the patients are going with it. And so everybody's in the same journey and, um the the approach is is simply you know the oh well this is what it stands for the a first a stands for arrest or uh, uh, to assess the arrest okay so when we put this on and you come back we're going to assess the arrest we can do that by the color because if the tooth is or the decayed part of the tooth turns black we know we have a assessed the arrest this is in the case of caries um, and then if you are looking, the R stands for remineralization. So you're going to review the remineralization. Now, in a tooth, you'll find that because the, um, the burnt toast is underneath that. They've got some nice hard stuff. You can actually feel that. But if it's a sensitivity tooth, you know, like a hypermineralized tooth, you will know you're on the way to remineralization because you can puff air on the tooth and there's a reduced symptoms. Okay, so that that is the A and the R, and then the M. The first, the M stands for manage. So you're going to work out with the patient and with that particular tooth how you're going to manage this particular tooth or the going forward or the or the mouth or whatever. And and everybody, each tooth will be individual. Um, and then the E. Um, the E stands for education because you really need to educate the patient on how they got into this pickle in the first place, why we need to do this. It's all part of the journey. What, if they're talking about hypermineralized teeth, you have to you know, educate them about why we have to treat this tooth in this particular way or, or this is an option to treat. And, and so education enlightens everybody. Um, and then the, um, the, uh, the last R, okay, that stands for when you get them back, that management tool. You Are you going to review it? Well, you will because you'll review it. You'll be looking at it. Are you going to repeat the process, the application? Are you going to just go straight to restore the tooth? Um, but the, the ultimate game is to rehabilitate the mouth and then move them basically into the future, their future. So there's a, a clear pathway of steps that everything, you know, 
you theoretically go through every one of those when you're dealing with every patient. But when it's put there and the patients can see that, um, and then I've developed all these resources like chairside assistance that you know, each clinician can then show their um their patient um, and explain what they're doing and it's got visuals and things like that and I know that there are other ones out there but there certainly wasn't anything in Australia and um, so I needed that um, to be able to get into the hands of the clinician so um, I've got one for aged care and hypermineralized teeth and um, and and just normal pediatric caries but I've developed patient brochures along that. This is the bit where we talk about the gift to humanity because I put a lot of time and effort into do this because I really want this product to be used or, or the concept to be used. Um, and, of course, I'm, I've got nothing to do financially with the product. It's just that I'm, I'm like it's probably number one flag, you know, waving um, fan. But um, <laughs> the... Um, the um, the the ability for clinicians all around to have what I've got up here and and be able to get that to their parents has to come through the written form and and you know videos and things like that so that they can understand where we're going with it and um, the the brochures um, they can print off they're all downloadable from the internet and they can just you know print them all off but they're really handy and I found them really handy because a lot of, you know, you might have mum come with a child, okay. Now where we live in Townsville here, we have a lot of um, folks who are what we call fly-in, fly-out workers. So their their parents might work, you know, uh, one the dad might work out the mines or something like this. And, and of course, everybody wants to be involved in everybody in their children's you know health care or the parents might be separated and they they need to make decisions so they can be downloaded as a pdf and emailed over to the patients and then or to the parents um and then they can read that they can have a look they can get an understanding and they go yeah let's go ahead with that and i've had that happen within the appointment where you know they've come you know where i've i've just got it ready i've sat there and i've i've, I've talked to mum on the phone i've you know, showed it. I said, I'm going to email you a brochure. You can have a read of it. Just, you know, text us back when you're ready. And, you know, that's so handy these day and age. So, so helpful. Yeah. Kathy, I just want to thank you for your time and, and the resources that you've shared and just really opening our minds on the benefits of silver fluoride and silver dimide fluoride in the U.S. So thank you so much. I, it, it's just been such a great experience. You're and welcome. There for so that everyone can find your um, paperwork and your website and your Instagram. So we'll put all those links in because I think if you want to find out more, it's really important you can connect with Kathy and she does do a lot of education. And I think you know even if you're not a um, oral health therapist, even as a hygienist, you could be treating with the silver fluoride and then the dentist doing the restorative side as well. So we can all take part in that. So um, I've learned a lot again. These podcasts are teaching me how much I don't know. So thank you. <laughs> so much. Thank so you. much. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So thank you for disrupting dentistry with us, Kathy. Keep on disrupting. You are an amazing dental professional. And until next time, everybody, have a great week. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.